Hi ninjas and ninjets and welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Tim Cameron Kitchen, best-selling digital marketing author and head ninja at Exposure Ninja, which is a marketing company for small and medium-sized businesses based in the UK. In this episode, I'm joined by digital marketing royalty, really. Perry Marshall has been one of the kind of founding experts on Google AdWords and talking about how businesses can use Google AdWords and pay-per-click to generate more leads and sales. Now we've got him on the show today to talk a little bit about Google AdWords, but really to talk about some concepts to do with 80-20 and the 80-20 principle as it applies to digital marketing. So lots of people are familiar with the 80-20 principle. I think it's kind of like, you know, the extra features on your microwave, right? You know that they're there, you know that these extra features exist, but what it actually means like in practical terms, most people don't really use. So we know that, for example, you know, 80% of your profit comes from 20% of your customers or on Facebook, 80% of the conversions that you get come from 20% of the people who see the ads. So we know these things conceptually. What I really wanted to drill down with Perry on is how we can take those principles, which sound great and actually turn them into action. So how they can actually shape our day-to-day behaviors, because I think that's the most important piece. So we talk all about that and we also dig in in detail to premium pricing and creating premium versions of your offering for that 20% or the 10% or whatever who are willing to spend significantly more than anything that you currently have for sale. And that's where things get really interesting because that can open up huge kind of profit areas, if you like, which most businesses just just don't tap into. So really fascinating guy and some super interesting insights into how we can actually use 80-20 principle rather than just thinking about it, feeling all warm and fuzzy and then getting on doing exactly what we always do. Now, remember, if you're listening to this episode and you're thinking, ah, you know, my business really needs some help with digital marketing, or I know my business isn't performing to its maximum potential, then I'd encourage you to request some free help from my company, Exposure Ninja. So what we do is we run this free website and marketing review. And this is a service that's completely no charge, there's absolutely no obligation. And what we'll do is we'll spend 20 minutes looking through your website, your current digital marketing channels, seeing where you're getting your traffic from. We'll even have a look through your analytics with you if you like as well. And we put all of this together into a 20 minute video, which we send over to you, which says these are the areas that we think you have the most low hanging fruit. And if we are working on a campaign, these would be the things that we'd be doing. You can then take that plan and you can do it yourself. You can take it to another company or If you're interested in having us work through that plan with you, then we'll give you some information on how to do that. So this thing's completely free. It's unbelievable value. If you go and check out the Exposure Ninja Facebook page, you'll see there are hundreds of five-star reviews for this free review because it is so useful. And if you want to grab yours, then all you need to do is head over to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review. A few questions to fill in about your business and then we'll get your review over to you usually within two to three working days. Anyway, so head over to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review to grab that and enjoy the show. So Perry, welcome to the show. Great to be on. Thanks for having. It's an honor and we're going to have some fun in the next 30 minutes or so. So... Obviously, we want to talk about the 80-20 sales and marketing book and uh, some of the key principles from that. But I bet you probably can't cross the street without people asking you about AdWords, right? <laughs> uh, it happens a lot. And uh, it's a, it's a <laughs> pretty important topic since Google's the 800-pound gorilla of the internet. So absolutely. 
This is true. So before we get started with the AT20, I just wanted to ask you about your opinion about the future of AdWords, really. Obviously, the majority of what Google has built has been funded by AdWords, and and yet the core product is, in many ways, remarkably similar to its first incarnation. Do you think Google should be scared by innovations like voice search and Facebook dipping its toe into search? Or what sort of innovations do you see coming from AdWords in the next, say, five years? Well, they are justifiably scared and they should always be paranoid. But I I really don't think anybody's going to displace them in search any more than Google ever really had a chance of displacing Facebook and social media. I mean, do you remember when Google was trying to make Google Plus work and it was all the rage and they were just sure they could pull it off and they they didn't. In fact, it was a, a spectacular failure. I, I don't really think anything's going to replace Google search anytime soon. And furthermore, Google can afford to buy any small company that comes up with anything that could remotely be a threat and they'll just roll it into their offerings. So in fact, Google's buying AI type companies left and right everywhere. So it's here to stay. It hasn't changed fundamentally because they had it fundamentally right from the word go, which was really one of the most impressive things about it. I really, when I was brand new, I appreciated the fact that they had a very elegant thing from the word go. Yeah, this is true. And and I guess we've noticed this week starting to see Google shopping ads come underneath YouTube videos and in Google image searches on on mobile as well. So you search for a particular product and you'll start to see underneath the Google image things, you'll actually see some, some related products. So Google must be somehow scraping the images to identify similar products, which just seems crazy good. So I guess there are innovations coming in other areas, right? Well, yeah. And, and, uh, you know, that's another, like Google's Google shopping, like you were talking about that, that's a, a bit of a sleeping giant. I mean, there's, you know, I think Google search for nationwide exposure is in most markets really saturated and you really have to sharpen your pencil if you're going to go do that. But there are lots of other parts of Google where it's not as competitive. There aren't as many players. And one of them is Google Shopping. One of them is YouTube. I think YouTube is significantly, there's a lot of uh, opportunity and a lot of real estate on YouTube that hasn't really been snatched up. There's a lot of people getting cheap clicks on YouTube. So in, in all these, you have to sharpen your pencil and you have to know what you're doing, but they are doable. So you can't ignore Google and there's a ton of traffic. Like if if you take any one thing and you do it really, really well in Google advertising, there is a ton of traffic that's available relative to whatever it is that you're doing. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we're, our business is known for SEO and, and, and pay-per-click. So and we always say to people, it doesn't matter what you're doing with Facebook or any of those channels. If you're ranking well or you've got good visibility on Google, you really don't need to worry about lead generation or, or sales. That visibility is just so profitable. And, and we really haven't seen that dip, even with the popularity of Facebook increasing. I don't think it's subtractive. I think that people have an almost unlimited ability to consume internet. So no, Facebook isn't going to make Google searches go away. That's crazy. So yeah, and, and and you can't do everything, right? The biggest suck with social media 
is this idea. It's like, oh, I need to be on LinkedIn and Pinterest and Instagram and Facebook. And like, you can't do all that. You need to do one or two things really well. Which leads us so elegantly into talking about 80-20 and identifying the areas, the 20% areas where you can focus, where you get 80% of your results. You've got the book 80-20 Sales and Marketing, which takes a well-known concept of 80-20 and obviously applies it to sales and marketing. The, the issue that I think a lot of people have with 80-20 is as a concept, they understand it and it's really compelling. You know, I'd, I'd love to just get more of the 20% of customers in and focus on all those guys. But until your book, I think there was a real lack of practical application of this. So once we understand the concept, you know, how do we actually use that and, and live 80-20 rather than just understanding it? So perhaps first you could give us a, a, an overview of how 80-20 can make us better marketers. I don't really think most people understand 80-20. I think the problem is, is that people think that they do. Um, but so uh, the surface level of 80-20 is 20% of your customers generate 80% of your sales and 80% of your customers only generate 20% of your sales. And lots and lots of people know that. But, you know, knowing that and then increasing your sales, it's sort of like, you know, most of us took high school science or physics, but that doesn't mean we know how to repair a car even though everything in a car is physical. You know what I'm saying? It's one thing to kind of know a little surface level rule of thumb, but it's another thing to, to really, really apply it. And if you really understand 80-20, it simplifies almost everything that you ever do. And it gives you an ability to see around the corner. So, so let's take 80-20 a couple of layers deeper and really make some money with this. So, so the first thing about 80-20 is it's not just a business rule of thumb. It's almost like a law of physics of all cause and effect in nature. It's in your car engine. It's the streets that you drive on. It's the carpet in your living room. It's the files in your hard drive. So all of these things, 80% of the effects come from 20% of the causes. So 80% of the space on your hard drive is taken up by 20% of the files. And 80% of the money is made by 20% of the people. And 80% of the apartments are owned by 20% of the real estate developers. It goes on and on and on. It is absolutely everywhere. And so, and it's, it's an inevitable intrinsic way to how the world works. 80% of the water runs in 20% of the rivers. Okay. So, so that's the first thing. And most people don't even, they don't even realize that cause and effect are unequal. In fact, it, they are so unequal, it's almost impossible to make them equal. You can't even force it to be equal. Water wants to run in a very particular path as it goes down a mountain and it will, it won't go in a straight line. It will never, like there's no river that runs in a straight line. It will always curve around and do these meanders. It'll go back and forth and back and forth because the water wants to be concentrated in a certain place and it wants to follow a curvy path. And actually the straightest path down the mountain for water 
is actually that curvy path. It's not a straight line. And so what people are trying to do in business is they're trying to force things to be in straight lines and all they do is waste a lot of money. Okay, so so let me give you an, an actual example of this. Let's say we're talking about Google AdWords. It's a law of physics that 95% of your traffic will come from 5% of your keywords. It will be tremendously unequal. And so what people will do is they won't realize that. So they'll sit there and they'll try to optimize a thousand keywords. They'll have a thousand ads for a thousand keywords. They won't realize that, well, 95% of that traffic comes from 50 of them. I could take those 50 keywords, I could put them in 10 ad groups and I could hyper-optimize that, which is only 5% of it. And if I hyper-optimize just that piece, I have my campaign 95 to 97% optimized. Now, here's the other thing about 80-20 that most people don't realize is there, there's another 80-20 inside every 80-20. So 20% of your customers generate 80% of your sales but 20% of those customers generate 80% of the 80%. So that means 4% of the people generate 64% of the sales. But then you can do it again. 1% of the people generate 50% of the sales. Two-tenths of a percent of people generate 40% of your sales. And so there's a very small number of customers that actually generate almost all of the activity. And the reason that most of your other business exists is just to ascend customers from entry level up into the highest level, and it's only a very small percentage. And so people mostly spend all their time chasing new customers instead of servicing the new ones, polishing turds instead of polishing mirrors. This is why business is so hard for most people, and it's almost harder for highly educated people than it is for people that are street smart. So what we're really looking to do is we're looking for indications that something is a winner, right? We're looking for indications that a particular keyword is a winner or that a customer is likely to spend more. And then we're backing those guys rather than trying to raise the level of everything across the board. Is that an accurate, an accurate kind of a su- uh, summary? That's very accurate. In fact, there's always some part of your customer base that you should actually be firing or starving or ignoring. Let, let me give you an illustration of this. Um, when, when my friend John Paul Medocha was 17, he dropped out of high school. He hitchhiked to Las Vegas and he became a professional gambler. He'd been reading gambling books and he had this fantasy about, I want to go do this. This would be such a cool thing to do. So after about three weeks, he's like, oh, this is uh, harder than I thought it was going to be. And he's hustling, right? He's, he's at casinos every day and he's playing cards for money. And he, he goes to this bookstore and he meets this other guy who runs a professional gambling ring. He's like, hey, could you teach me how to do this? And he says, well, for a percentage of your winnings, I could teach you how to do this. And so they shake on it. And Rob says, Okay, John, you're on. Jump in the Jeep. We're going for a ride. So they're going down the highway in the Jeep. And John says, so how do I win more poker games? And Rob says to him, the way you win more poker games is you play people who are going to lose. And those people are called marks. And John says, 
uh, where do I find marks? And he says, here, I'll show you. And he pulls into a parking lot and he takes John into a strip club. And there's all these people in there and there's drinking, and there's women and there's rock and roll and there's all this partying going on. And Rob sits down at a table and he pulls a sawed off shotgun out of his jacket because he carried one with him everywhere he went. This guy was a bad hombre. Okay. And he holds his shotgun under the table and he opens it up, opens a chamber, and then he shuts it really fast. So it goes, it's called racking the shotgun. And like all these biker dudes turn around like, Hey, what was that? And the owner comes over the table like, what's going on over here? Hey, don't worry about us. We're not causing any trouble. Just teaching the lad a lesson. We're not going to do anything here. It's okay. And then he says to John, John, did you see those guys who turned around when they heard that noise? Even though there's like rock music, 110 decibels and everything in here. And John goes, yeah. And he says, don't play poker with them. They're not marks. You play with everybody else. And that was John's first lesson in 8020. Because what Rob did was he picked a signal, which was racking the shotgun, that would identify the street smart people in the room versus the not street smart people in the room. So John could choose, like, who do I want to play poker with? Now, if he wanted to go on a skeet shooting expedition in the desert, he would have picked the biker guys and said, hey, you know, let's go get our shotguns and, and let's, sh let's shoot. But that's not what he wanted. He wanted naive people who think they're going to get rich coming to Vegas. And so it was all the people that didn't notice that noise. And everything that you do in marketing is racking the shotgun. Everything that a customer either responds to or doesn't respond to everything that they do, everything they don't do is racking the shotgun. Now, marketers always get this backwards. In fact, it's almost ingrained in humanity. You put up a Google ad and some people search for that term and some people don't. That's racking the shotgun. And already people are going, but wait, I wanted more people to search for that. It doesn't matter. Okay. They didn't ignore those people. Rack the shotgun uh, just by you know, bidding on a keyword. Then some people click on the ad, some people don't. That's rack the shotgun. Again, a lot of people are like, but wait, there's all these people. They don't click on Google ads. I know this. It doesn't matter. The, the only thing that matters is there's a percentage of people who will search Google and who will click on Google ads. That's it. That's all that matters. And the only people that matter are the ones that clicked, not the ones who don't, right? So then there's the people that, filled in the forum or got on the webinar, got in the email list. And there's the ones that don't. You send an email. Some of them opened. Some of them didn't. Rack the shotgun. Some of them clicked on the link. Some of them didn't. Rack the shotgun. There's all these signals and they are going on all the time. And maybe you rack the shotgun or maybe you just watch while somebody else racks the shotgun. So because of this, there are millions of lists there are millions of niches. There are millions of groups of people and you can target them. But again, every time you rack the shotgun, most human beings look the wrong direction. And this is why marketing is a lot harder for most people than it needs to be. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's such a, 
it's, it's such a great metaphor. So a, a business owner who's sat with a, a list of their customers in front of them, and they want to figure out what the characteristics are, what the, what the equivalent of the, the shotgun needs to be for the best customers for them. How do they start going through this process? How do I, they identify the characteristics of, of their best customers? You start with the five power disqualifiers, which is another big topic in the 8020 book. And, and John, the same, you know, the, the guy that went to Vegas, he, he came up with these because what happened to John was, so he hung around with all of these shady guys for about three and a half years. And one day he's sitting in a restaurant booth and these two guys next to him are having an argument. Yes, you will. No, I won't. Yes, you will. No, I won't. And out comes a Glock and he points it at the guy's head and he says, yes, you will. And John sits there and he goes, you know, if I keep hanging around with these people, it's going to be me. I'm done. I'm getting out of here. And he left. Okay. And, and he, okay. So, so John's 21. Okay. He's 21. He's a high school dropout. He spent the last three and a half years in Vegas. What's he going to do? Well, he had one advantage and the advantage was after all of those poker games and all of the, like all of the crazy stuff that he did to, to make a living in Vegas, he was really good at reading people and he was really good at figuring out who's going to do stuff and who's not. And he gets a sales job selling some kind of computer equipment and his boss gives him 206 leads and he says, here, get appointments with all these people and sell them some stuff. And John looks at this and he, and he, he already is street smart enough at age 21 to go, there is no way that it is worth talking to all 206 of these people, uh, let alone meeting with them. And John said, who is actually going to do this? And he came up with this thing that he calls the five power disqualifiers. And they are the five things that are always true Anytime you sell anything, okay, and here's what they are. Number one, do they have the money? If they don't have the money, they're not buying. And so when he started calling these people, the, one of the first things that he figured out by asking them very directly is, do you have the budget to solve this problem right now? That, that, might, that may seem such a simple thing, but I, I can tell you when when I spent two and a half years of my life, bologna sandwiches and ramen soup and a little baby at home and a wife who's a stay-at-home mom and my credit cards are spiraling out of control and I'm working the sales guy, I didn't have the guts or even the awareness most of the time to find out, do these people have the budget? And if I can convince them that this is good, can they even buy the stuff in the first place? And a lot of like a lot of rookie salespeople, they don't even have the guts to ask. Like, so hey, just level with me here. Like, am I wasting my time? Do you have the money? If if I absolutely prove to you that this is the best thing since sliced bread, can you actually buy it? It's ten thousand dollars. Can you do that? If if this is really that good, most people don't have the guts. So that's the first one. Do they have the money? Second one, do they have a bleeding neck? Now, this is huge. Now. If you break your arm and you go to the emergency room, you think that you are having a world-class personal crisis, you know, and that everybody should stop what they're doing and fix your broken arm. 
But when you walk in the emergency room, you know, the lady barely looks up to you and and she hands you a clipboard. She says, here, fill this out and sit down over there. And you're sitting there. You spend two hours sitting there with, you know, filling out a form and reading better homes and gardens. And your emergency is not their emergency. Like they're, (laughs) they're not like they call this an emergency room. There's just people sitting in here. But if let's say there's a shooting and some guy stumbles in and he's got blood squirting out of his aorta and it's splattering on the ceiling and he's staggering around, is that lady going to give him a clipboard and make him No, like she's going to put him, give him right to the next nurse or doctor and they're going to start working on it because he has a bleeding neck. He has a real emergency because she sees this stuff all the time, right? Well, the only customers that can actually buy something from you are the ones with bleeding necks. Like they have a really urgent problem. Okay. You know, if somebody is dead tired and if they they have to get a presentation, they are going to get themselves to Starbucks and get a triple espresso if it costs them 25 bucks, right? Like they have a bleeding neck. And so that's the second, do they have the money? Do they have a bleeding neck? Do they buy into your unique selling proposition? Now, I, I wanna zero in on the, the exact question that you asked me, which is there's usually a first step to, so, okay, we're selling this $10,000 thing, but how do I actually engage this person right now? Well, like maybe they're on my website. How do I get them to give me my email address or fill in the form or tell them who I am? Now, that's a hard thing to do. It was easy 17 years ago. It's hard now, right? Like in the year 2000, it wasn't very hard to get somebody's email address. It's really hard now. I was just talking to a financial advisor this morning and her website, she's got this website and there aren't hardly any people that fill in the form. And I said, the only way people are going to give their email address to a financial advisor is if the financial advisor specifically addresses their bleeding neck. Now, what is their bleeding neck? I said, well, it could be any number of things, but here's an example. I said, you know, I think the markets are in for a 30% correction sometime in the next two years. Like, I think it's inevitable. We're due for another one. I said, a lot of people probably agree with that and they suspect, well, I would do something like, you know, get my white paper, why the markets are inevitably going to take a 30% dip and how to make sure you're happy about it when it happens instead of jumping off of a building. Because that addresses like the most immediate problem right now. Like, yes, later they're going to write her a $2,500 check and get some advice. But right now she's got to find out who they are. Number four, do they have the ability to say yes? I don't know how many sales appointments I went on where I was talking to like some engineer who could say no and he could stop me but he could not give me a green light because he didn't have the purchasing authority. Like I could spend two and a half hours convincing him. And then I got him convinced and he's like, Oh, well, you'll have to talk to my boss about that. And then I have to start all over. I don't know how many times I did that. I was so stupid. Oh my, my goodness. And, and again, it like, I didn't even have the guts to ask him like, well, do you have the ability to approve this purchase? 
because I wanted to be nice. Like, well, if you, you can want to be nice all the time or you can actually make money, mm -hmm. but in sales, you can't necessarily do both. Certainly not all the time. I mean, yeah, we should all try to be nice, but not at the expense of wasting our time with, plus I was wasting his time, right? I wasn't, I wasn't helping anybody. I thought I was. And number five, does it fit their overall plans? Now, all five of those things that I just listed are always true every time anybody buys anything. They're always true. And so, and every single one of them is like eliminates 80%. So like when you get to the end of five things, there's probably only one person out of a thousand that's actually a fit. And what that means is you're marketing to a whole lot fewer people than you think they are, think, think you are. Like there is very, very, very few businesses that should have a billboard on the motorway because they're not for everybody. That's a really good point. And it throws up all sorts of questions about targeting and when to disqualify leads in the funnel. So would you recommend that people are more selective, for example, on their landing pages than you know, just trying to provide something which everybody would want to, you know, trying to drive their conversion rates as high as possible. When should we be racking the shotgun? When, when should we be selective? Is it on the landing page? Is it in the ad? Is it in the follow-up email that we send out? Is it in the first sales call that we have with people? You rack the shotgun pretty much at every step. Okay. Now you're going to rack the shotgun a little differently when you're just trying to collect some email addresses than you do when you're trying to get a $50,000 purchase order, obviously. But you should not be afraid to narrow and specify, this is the exact kind of problem I solve, and this is the exact kind of person I'm looking for. And if there are other kinds of problems or other kinds of people, then you make more landing pages and you drive more sources of traffic. But you should not be afraid of being too narrow. I mean, for every one time somebody misses because they were too narrow, they will miss 10 times for aiming too broad. Most people are, are aiming way too broad and they're talking in boring, plain vanilla, broad generalities, and they're not saying anything interesting. Yeah. And I, I guess if we take something like, for example, Google AdWords, you're paying for every single click. So I guess in some ways, the goal is not to maximize click-through rate. The goal is to maximize the conversion rate on your page because you want your ads to basically disqualify as much as you want them to qualify, right? Well, well, that's right. And, and see, in Google AdWords, normally you pay for clicks. But what people don't realize is they're really paying for impressions. If you sit there with a spreadsheet and you work out all the math, what you'll actually figure out is you're paying like a tenth of a cent or a penny or something like that every time your ad is seen, whether you realize it or not, okay? And so you don't even want your ad to be seen by people that aren't likely prospects. And so, see, here's what 80-20 actually says. 80-20 says that sales is not a convincing people process. Sales is a dis qualification process from the word go. So really all of sales is really saying, are you not for me? 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 You eliminate, eliminate, eliminate. That one guy that's left standing, you go, now you just saw me eliminate everybody else. 
And the reason you need to buy is I'm talking to you. I don't want to sell to that guy. I don't want to sell that guy. I just sent them away. I'm talking to you because I can help you. This is a match. And see, this is so different than the way most people sell. And it takes so much less effort because when that guy has watched you kick all those other people out and he's the only one left, he knows you're not just about like sucking money out of their wallets with a vacuum cleaner just because they have some. And it, it tremendously increases your credibility. So we, we do this. So for example, if you go to isaw4me.com, we have this website that says, is Google AdWords for you or not? And for, for search network or display network, it will give you a scale of one to 10 on how much of a match is this for you. It'll also give you a score of how competitive Google is going to be for you. And so we're attracting the people with high scores and we're pushing away the people with low scores. We also have a isfbforme.com, which is is Facebook for me. Same thing. We give you a score. Like if you got a four, you probably shouldn't advertise on Facebook. If you got an eight, you should. Most people don't do that. Most people are like, hey, everybody, hey, everybody, I can help you. I can help you. I can help you. And then your messages is drowned in the noise. I suppose it also, I mean, this guides, for example, copy and images that you'd use on a website. It would be so much easier if you had one very specific customer avatar that you're talking to, to make sure that you have a direct match with the copy that you're writing and the images that you're using, rather than trying to be really inclusive to everyone and making sure that you're not putting off anyone. What you're saying is actually don't try and, you know, don't try and skirt around the mismatches, actually just full on face them, shout about we are not right for these people. And that's going to make you more attractive to the people that you are, that you are a, a really good match for that. I think it's a, like you say, it's a completely different way of thinking about things. Most people are just trying to be as inclusive as they possibly can, because that feels like common sense, doesn't it? We wouldn't want to put anyone off. We want to maximize our sales. So therefore we want to maximize our suitability with as many people as possible. Are there, are there any exceptions to this rule? Not usually. I mean, you know, so I got this friend and he lost his job and, you know, he had a bunch of kids and his money is running out and, you know, they were over at our house on a Sunday afternoon. And I said, okay, Bob, let's put on my marketing hat, like finding a job, that's a marketing problem. So let's, let's just put on our marketing hat and solve this. And so I sat down with him and we wrote this cover letter. And, you know, so we all know what most people's resumes and cover letters look like. And they're always designed to appeal to as many possible employers as possible. And, and usually it's like, well, you know, well, I could be a secretary or I could be a personal assistant or I could be a receptionist or I could be a courier. So here, I'll just kind of put all that stuff on there. I said, Bob, that that's not going to work. And what we actually did was we wrote a cover letter and we designed it for a guy who's got a bunch of employees and his frustration with the employees is that they steal stuff that doesn't belong to them. They don't show up on time. They're irresponsible and they have to be babysat all the time. And so we, we write this cover letter. It says, it says, dear so-and-so. As an employer in the state of Illinois, you've had more than your share of no-shows, lame excuses, people not showing up 
to, to work on time, disappearing office supplies and all the rest. And I'm writing to tell you, you won't get any of that with me. You know, in my last job, I showed up every day early. I stayed late. I opened the office up with the key company keys four days out of five, blah, blah, blah. The first guy who called him had fired a guy the day before for stealing office supplies. And it was because we had specifically said that. Now, Bob was a guy like Bob could do all kinds of stuff. He's a really, you know, flexible kind of guy and he's got a lot of skills. But saying I'm a really flexible guy, I've got a lot of skills, it doesn't work because it doesn't paint any vivid image in anybody's head. It's not memorable. Bob wrote that really specific letter. And you know what? You know what we did? I'll tell you what we did. We true like I really did a classic marketing thing with Bob. We went and we rented a list. Like we used one of these websites where you go, okay, give me the names of the vice presidents of companies that have more than 15 employees and less than 50 that are in within a 10 mile radius of my house. And we got this list and we mailed letters to them like snail mail. And for every $75 Bob spent on postage, he got a job interview. Let's just say the economic, would you, if you were unemployed, would you pay 75 bucks for job interview? For sure. Absolutely. It's a slot machine. It's like, put $75 in, pull the <laughs> lever, get a job interview. How many 75, like you'd spend your last grocery money on that. You'd let the kids go hungry in the morning if it was going to get you more job interviews. And that's how marketing is supposed to work. That's how Google AdWords is supposed to work. That's how mailing out letters is supposed to work. And it only works when you're really specific. If we had just sent out regular resumes, it would have cost $500 for Bob to get a job interview. But we nailed that guy in the forehead. You're sick of these incompetent, lazy people. I'm not one of them. That's all it took. He worked at that job for 12 years. And I guess when you're hiring someone, you're, you're digging through so many CVs. Oh my With God. that approach, you become impossible to ignore, don't you? And I guess that's exactly what we're doing with the marketing. For that perfect target customer who lands on that website or sees that ad, you are impossible to ignore because you're speaking so directly to them. It's like when you catch someone's eyes across a room, like you're impossible to ignore. That's right. It's, it's, uh, you might sacrifice volume, sure, but you've got to become okay with that because you've got to look at the bigger picture and look at the bottom of the funnel. You're going to be getting more and better customers that, you know, 12 years is, is a, a kind of testament to how that works. That's right. You spent three or $400 sending out resumes and like how much money do you make in a job for 12 years, right? That's, that's a good return on investment. It sure is. Um, I, I, want, I know we're running out of time. I want to be respectful of your time, but I really wanted to ask you about premium pricing. Uh, slightly changing tack because and in the book you talk about how um 80 20 can guide us to pricing levels which are above what we would normally be selling and a lot of our clients and a lot of the people listening to the podcast are selling at one level so whether they're a service business or an e-commerce we often have clients and, and I'll, I'll see we've got a, a client that sells dog leads for example and she she'll make these custom dog leads and i i look at it and think damn i wish she sold a thousand dollar dog lead you know I wish that this would be the world's most expensive dog lead, not just because that would get us a ton of links and a ton of social media visibility, but there's someone out there who would buy that. So 
How can 80-20 help us identify when there is an opportunity to create a premium price version of what we're doing? There is usually an opportunity to do that. And more often than not, you should be doing this. So in the 80-20 sales and marketing book, I call it the principle of the $2,700 espresso machine. And, and so 80-20 says 20% of your customers want to give you 80% of the money and 4% of the customers want to give you 64, 64% of the money. And so it's, it's almost a law of physics. And, and we have a calculator. The book comes with a, a, a web calculator tool that you can use. And, and, and here's what it says. It says that one-fifth the people will spend four times the money. And one-fifth of those people will spend four times the money. So for every 1,000 people who come to Starbucks and buy a $5 latte, or I guess in London, it's five pounds, right? If I go to Costa Coffee, it's like like London is like the yeah. home of the $7 latte, which, you know, shocks. Americans are in shock. They're like, oh, my goodness, this place is expensive. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I love London, by the way. I think it's a fantastic. English story. people are in shock, too. Dude. It's just so expensive. But anyway, um, <laughs> for every 1,000 people. Who will buy a $5 latte? That's uh, about one to five of them will buy a $2,700 espresso machine. Okay. And it, it's, it's practically a law of physics. In fact, you'll, you, you'll make probably almost half as much revenue from the espresso machines, which you only sell like one or two of them a week, as you make from the lattes. And and eighty twenty will actually tell you how many of them you'll sell, and the reason is is because is is because the willingness to scratch an itch is eighty twenty. That there's some people they'll only spend the five dollars. In fact, there's some people they won't even spend the five dollars. They'll go to the grocery store, like they'll buy the raw stuff, but they would never actually like go to a high end coffee shop, right? But there's a group of people. They want the stainless steel gleaming piece of metal sitting on their counter and, and they'll walk by it in the morning out the door and they'll drive to Starbucks and they'll buy another latte after they bought the espresso machine yesterday. And most businesses can make an espresso machine, especially like the kind of people that are listening to this podcast. Now, there's, there's a certain kind of a business that I won't go into where I do not recommend that they do that. But for the most part, yes, you should. So does 8020 guide us as to how we begin to create the premium version of our product? Because I'm imagining that there is a, this kind of creme de la creme of the audience. We need to create something which, which really serves them and serves them to a, you know, a completely different level. So do you have any tips on how our audience can start to identify? I know it's difficult to give generalities, but where should we begin looking? Here's the best generalization is sell results, not procedures. In other words, most people sell a part of a solution. And if you want to, if you want to sell something for five times more money, it needs to solve five times more problems with one fifth as many steps. That that's basically it. So, you know, if you're, if you're selling if you're selling training or consulting or expertise, 
the 10 times more expensive version is, well, if you just write me a big check, I will bring this to you on a silver platter and you don't have to learn anything. Okay. So that's a, like a, a very typical example, or maybe it comes with an absolutely fantastic guarantee that it's going to absolutely deliver a specific outcome. The more that you sell very, very specific outcomes rather than steps and procedures and bits and pieces, the more you can charge. And very, very many times, the more exponentially higher fees that you can charge. I can't believe you gave such a useful answer to such a general question. <laughs> That's, uh, that, that's awesome, Perry. Thank you so much for joining us today. Where can people find out more about you and uh, 8020 Sales and Marketing? And I think maybe if you want to give out the AdWords, is AdWords for me again, link. Uh, I think a lot of people find that quite useful. You can go to isaw4me.com and you can get scored on Google AdWords Search and Display Network. You can go to isfb4me. Com and score yourself for Facebook. And you can get 8020 sales and marketing at sell8020.com, S E L L 8020.com. And we sell it for a penny plus shipping, which in the UK adds up to $14. Uh, less than it costs on Amazon, we'll ship it directly to you. And if you buy the book there, you'll get some videos and some other things that don't come with a regular book. And you'll, you'll get to watch how we sell. You can learn a great deal just by watching how we engage people on our website. And, and you can copy what we do in some way because it'll probably help you out a lot. So sell8020.com. Perfect. And we'll link up those in the show notes as well. Perry, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. It was great to meet you. Take care. <laughs>